Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey friends, welcome to the Tennis and Bagels podcast. This is Vaughn Cher. And of course, um, I'm sure as all of you listeners have heard, there's been um, breaking news the past week. Um, Serena Williams has announced her farewell to tennis. And um, many, many reactions to this, um, you know, many, many things to say about her legacy and her, um, her achievements on the court and what she's meant to tennis the past quarter of a century. And no one better to break it down than my guest here, you guys know him really well from our post-major chats, the one and only um, historian and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink. Steve, it's my pleasure to have you here. How are you? Back with you, Vance. Looking forward to talking. This will be a slightly different topic for us than our usual post-major wrap-up, and I, I'm uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, as am I um, immensely. But um, I just want to get started by, um, you know, what was your initial reaction when you, when you heard the news? That, well, uh, you know, that I would say... I don't know if relief is the right word. I, you don't want to see a great player play too far past their prime. That's my feeling, in other words. And so you saw Serena. She came back from having a child. And, and for two years in a row there in 18 and 19, she's in the finals of both Wimbledon and the Open. She was still right in the thick of it. Lost to four different players, as you know. And, I mean, they all played spectacular matches to beat her from Kerber at Wimbledon in 18 to to the 19 loss again to Halep. And then same thing at the Open, Naomi Osaka and Bianca Andrescu. They all played phenomenally well. But there was Serena in four major finals in those two years and then got to another Australian semi, U.S. semi. She was still really in there in this period of 18, 19 into 20. But then, you know, when she lost all this time from a year ago up to this Wimbledon, and now you're now you're 40 and soon to be 41. It's just, to me, it's, it's, it was asking too much of herself. And I don't, I don't, I, I felt like it was just a very wise bottom line, wise decision. I think realistically, she knows that it would just be almost a miracle to win another major now after all she's been through. And therefore I think it's a logical, smart time to go. People will still have the memories of her at her zenith, but also slightly past her prime and still playing great tennis there in 18 and 19 as a mother. So what can you say? It's just a phenomenal career. Absolutely. And it, it, it's, um, it's going to be pretty special that it's coming back to the U S open where she won her first major in 19. Yeah. And that's where it all kind of started for her. Absolutely. You know, I mean, that was, always, that was remarkable because we all thought at that point that Venus was the better player. Nobody necessarily disagreed with the father, Richard Williams's prognostication that, in the long run, it was Serena who was going to be better. But at that stage in 99, 2000, Venus was clearly superior. So, but then, you know, she went out in the semis to Hingis and there's, and there's Serena capping off a great run 
and a string of three setters over the likes of Kleisters, Davenport, you know, I mean, it, just a great tournament and beats Hingis in the finals. So you had to just be admire what she had done. And there's poor Venus sitting in the stands watching her sister w- win it. And you could sense that she, how frustrated she was not to be out there and yet how happy she was for her sister. So it was as if she kind of arrived slightly ahead of schedule. You would have I thought that it would have taken her a year or two more and that Venus was the one that was going to get on the board then. And Venus won Wimbledon the next year. And, and you know, it, it was what was stood out to me, though, Bunch, about that 99 Open was just, I mean, we saw greater tennis from Serena in the years ahead, but it was the string of three set wins and five, three down in the third to Kleisters and just how she was overcoming these these great players one after another until finally the Hingis match, which ended in straight sets, but the tight second set. And she, uh, th- th- that was sort of a sign of things to come. Serena, the competitor, the player added layers to her game in, in the years ahead. But that to do that at 17, almost 18, but still 17 was, was just remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. And of course she, she, um, she mentions in her, in, in the Vogue article, it's so fitting that um, this came out in Vogue because it just seems like something that the Williams sisters would do at this point in their career. But, um, but she did say that, you know, these days, if I have to choose between building my tennis resume and building my family, I chose the latter. And so that's one of the reasons why when I first heard this news, and of course you mentioned the one, one year break, and of course the injury that she suffered in uh, Wimbledon in the first round against Sasnovich to then take yeah. all that time yeah. off. I, I just felt like um, she played Wimbledon sort of to get that behind her, like get that memory sort of behind her so that she can, uh, she, I even heard her say um, in, uh, in one of her press conferences leading up to Toronto, that it was just sort of a, um, like she wanted to, she's seeing light at the end of the tunnel. And it was sort of a day after that, that this news broke and it's just, it, it feels fitting that she's, she feels like she has so much more left to give um, in her post-tennis life as well, like with her business ventures and um, a lot of different things and growing her family. And it, it feels like that's, she's come to a, the conclusion. And it's been, you could sort of see reading the Vogue article that she's had to wrestle with this and it hasn't been easy for her to speak about it or um, because she's such a, she's such a competitor and she wants to win. And, yes, and also, Vanchi, I mean, all the stuff that what you're saying about the family is is very, very important. It's true. I, that's an aspect I left out. There's no doubt she takes great pride in being a mother and wants more children. I mean, regardless of whether she has more children or not, just the responsibility she has right now with one mm-hmm. is enough. And, you know, uh, commitment to her husband as well. There's a lot of factors beyond the courts. Yeah. I think what kept her going so long, it, it, she really became a student of history at a certain point and realized and knew the numbers, knew when she was passing Billie Jean, you know, knew when she was approaching Chrissy and Martina, realized that, that up, up down the road was Steffi at 22. And she really was targeting it in a very, almost in, jo- in, in a Djokovic-like fashion. She really it wasn't hiding the fact that she, the, 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 this was a clear, concrete goal and she wanted it. And she finally passes Steffi. And then I think she, she really wanted to at least tie Margaret Court. And I'm sure that that will, she'll have some laments that she got that many chances in 18 and 19 to do that. On the other hand, she didn't really have many opportunities in those matches. They were all straight setters. So, I mean, 
she can't really regret it from the standpoint of feeling like she let one of those finals get away from a winning position because she didn't get herself in that winning position. And uh, I, I just, I all I'm saying is I really admired that quest for history because in her early in career, I don't really think in, in the early dominant days of say 2002, you know, the Serena slam, as they called it into 03, it, you know, winning the last three of 02 and the first one of 03, that at that stage it was fun and she was she was enormously competitive and and she wanted to be the best but I don't think she had thought far down the road toward a, a, a Margaret Court or a Steffi Graf or any of those people it wasn't until she got in the neighborhood of Billie Jean King who had twelve then it started to dawn on her what uh, you know that, that that how much the history mattered and so she obviously will always and you there are reference to it in the Vogue piece. I will say this, Vanj, I think it's unfair when people, not, not of Serena in particular, but when anybody says that Margaret Court, I agree that I think Margaret was fortunate to win 11 Australians because there were some weak fields. Yep. But in those days, she, but, but Margaret didn't just win her slams. In fact, she won the Grand Slam in 1970 in the open era. So it's really unfair for people to classify her as sort of just from the amateur, not to mention you never had a significant you didn't have a women's pro tour the way you did with the men. So with the men, with the, the winners back in the 50s and into the 60s before open tennis in 68, the, the top amateurs would inevitably be approached by pro promoters like Jack Kramer to join the pro tour. And so then that pro tour, you know, they had some really big names competing in pro tennis, Gonzalez, Lou Hogue, Ken Rosewell, Labor joined them. And so, it was a sort of a divided tennis world between the amateurs and the professionals. And, but that never existed in women's tennis. So when Margaret was winning all her slams as an amateur, they, they, they were with, granted, she got some breaks in Australia, yes, because the fields were not great over there. That's not her fault. But she was playing against the best, whoever the best players were that were available. And it, it didn't. You didn't have this divide between the amateurs and the pros like you did, say, with Roy Emerson, who was a great, great player. But when Roy had won his re- what was then a record twelve majors in the '60s, th- there were all those pros that I just mentioned that he didn't have to face. And when Rod Laver won his first Grand Slam in '62, he didn't have to face a lot of those great players like Rosewell and Gonzalez and Hode. So. That's important, but that was not true in Margaret Court. So I don't think she should be diminished that way. In no way do I, am I trying to claim that Margaret Court would, that I would put her in any kind of an all-time ranking above Serena because I wouldn't. But I do think her achievement of the 24 w- was legitimate, even allowing for the, the disappointing feels they had some years at the Australian. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good uh, history lesson, I guess, for people. So, um, but you know, she did reference sort of that that quest that you're talking about, the history, the going for 24, that sort of adds to her greatness now that we look back and we can we can sort of, you know, that maybe at the time it would have seemed like opportunities missed, um, even though she didn't get very close in a lot of those finals. But you, you, you got the feeling that she was thinking about it a lot and it's something that she felt didn't really help her. And she, she said in her Vogue piece that, you know, that the way I see it, I should have had 30 plus grand slams and I had my chances after coming back from birth. I went from a C-section to a pulmonary embolism to a grand slam final. She played while breastfeeding, played with postpartum depression. So I think, and she sort of feels like she could have, she didn't show up the way she felt like she could have 
and and then she sort of goes on to say that you know she showed up 23 times and that's extraordinary enough yeah i think that's a, that's being fair to herself to say that she should win 30 who she can't really know bunch yeah. how she would have felt if she passed margaret at a certain point for instance for sure if yeah. she had a couple more would the incentive have been there she did very well i think the thing that changed was prior to those four losses she was almost unbeatable in major finals that yeah. that's what was a little surprising about 2018 and 19 was that you know, at one stage, I mean, then she was like 18 and four, 22 and four. She was, she had lost a couple to her sister, Venus, obviously. And and lost 21 and four before and then lost six yeah. and eight. So, yeah, which is surprising because, you know, at that, it, when, when, it, when it was overwhelming like that, she, it was just a couple to Venus and one to Sharapova. And then finally Sam Stoser got her at the open. That was a shocker in 11, but she was the quintessential big match player until then. You didn't feel like, it's a little bit like Pete Stampers was in his day, winning 14 of 18. You know, you felt like they get it was not going to happen in the finals. You better beat her before the finals. That changed. No knock because all those players played a spectacular tennis to beat her at Wimbledon in the Open, the four players I alluded to. But you you, you got to believe. And I remember her coach, Patrick Martagli, he said to me at uh, one stage in an interview that they all played the match of their life. Well, yes, I think it's valid. You could say that maybe Halep will look back one day to beat Serena two and two on the center court. What more could you ask for from yourself? But then my argument to that is also, yes, even if they did play the match of their life, it was up to Serena to make sure the match of their life was not good enough. Mm -hmm. You know, it's still Serena. And she did what I'm saying is she didn't hold up her end of the bargain in any of those. And Maybe understandably so, because at that age, you're thinking this could be my life. I think in each of those cases, she might have thought, I don't know how many more of these opportunities I'm going to get. I, I don't want to come down hard on her for that. I'm just saying that the, the Serena of prior years just didn't it didn't matter who was on the other side of the net. She was rarely going to lose those those big, big finals. And that did that did happen to her, which I'm sure it, I'm sure is frustrating when she looks back on it because she played awfully well in some of those. It, 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 in, in just about all of those cases on her way to the finals. Yeah, for sure. And, you, you know, when you just, when you sort of look back at her career and you, you see, um, you see the greatness from 2012 and you see what she's accomplished between that 2012 to 2017 yeah, right. period. I feel like that's what I'll remember the most. Well, yes. Now the other disappointment, I mean, listen, great players, we tend to be, it, it's kind of unfair. We judge them by the loftiest standards. They judge themselves the same way. But the other lament that I think she will have is not winning the Grand Slam in 2015 because it, it was there for the taking, and she's playing Roberta Vinci, the Italian, in the semifinals of the U.S. Open with Flavia Panetta on the other side having upset Halep. So she's going to, if she can beat Vinci, She's going to play Panetta in the finals if she'd beaten the year before. There's almost no way she could have lost to Panetta, given uh, Panetta's, you know, her, her game style, the way she played. So, you know, she was a terrific player, but it, 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 it was just hard to imagine she could beat Serena in the finals. Then she was that unorthodox kind of a break up your rhythm kind of player, came into the net a lot, a lot of touch, slice backhands, drop shots. She had it all. Yeah. going for it that day and beat Serena in three. But I'm sure that's another one of those times where she probably feels she put 
too much of a burden on herself, too much pressure. She, she wanted it almost too badly. And there was so much talk. Reminiscent in some ways of Djokovic coming to New York, uh, you know, a year ago and having this big buildup and he's won the first three and, you know, you, you believe it's, it's almost destined to happen. And there he is in the finals. And, and he, he just, you, the tension was just overwhelming for him. It was almost palpable. And Medvedev played a great match and he did not. And so in a way I was reminded of that with Serena is that she was bottled up and her feet weren't moving well and she shouldn't lose to Vinci as tricky an opponent as Vinci is. And then the final would have been, I think, fairly routine. And if she'd had that grand slam, that would have meant that would have offset. Well, first of all, if she would have won that match, she'd have she'd be tied with Margaret now. But but above all, it would have put her in that niche along with Little Mo Connolly, you know, who did it in 53, Margaret Court in 70, and Steffi in 88. They're the three women that had won the Grand Slam. And it would have been a really, a big feather in Serena's cap to have pulled that achievement off. So I'm sure those are the two things mm-hmm. she'd look back. I, in some ways, I think, in some ways, I think she would look back on the 15 one and maybe be a little bit more frustrated, feeling like that was maybe some of the best tennis she was playing in her entire career. And she's trying to cap off a, an impeccable season and, and win another open and, and, and get the grand slam. And, and it's there for the taking and she couldn't quite pull it off. Yeah, for sure. And it was, um, it was very, uh, it was, it was quite a moment for her to, to face that down, like, you know, being two love up in that third set. Having yeah. Oh yeah. A point. She had a point for three, a point for three love that would have made a big difference and couldn't, yeah. you know, it was, it was a real, real opening for her and she'd won the first set as well and it just it slipped from her grasp and you could feel it you could just feel her anxiety and apprehension it was it it, it was it was so clear because she didn't move her feet nearly as well as she normally does particularly in that third set when it started slipping away from two love and so that was that was devastating I'm sure and it it was one of the fastest press conferences we've ever had with her afterwards because I don't think she it probably was going to take her days, weeks, months to try to to talk about that with to move past the emotions and be able to rationally discuss that match and discuss the disappointment of not winning the Grand Slam. That, that was, you know, you think of those things, but of course, there's a there, there were so many more triumphs. There was so much more that was positive. And starting with that first Open, and think about that winning the first Open in '99, as you mentioned, and then. The last one at the 17 Australian. So it's not a full 18 years, but close, close enough, eight, you know, and, and that, that's an incredible winning record span that, that, that says a lot about her, where there were so many ups and downs in between, but where she was still, you know, and to think that she's also in the finals of that open in 19. So 20 years after winning it, she's back in the finals. That's also incredible as well. So the longevity is, is incredibly impressive. Uh, Despite the fact that there were some years she would have liked to have had back where she was hurt, where there were family issues. Some of this was way out of her control, uh, but where she was not able to give her best. For sure. And of course, um, I I also did see this video that um, IBM put out, which was sort of looking at uh, 1999 Serena versus 2017 Australian Open version of Serena. And you could, it, it was just impressive to see how much her game had changed and evolved over those, over those 20 years and just so much more reliant, even more so on her serve and just a lot more 
I mean, she just rolled through that title. I remember in 2017 and of course, two months pregnant. Um, yeah, and exactly. Oh. About it and... no, no, sorry. Oh, sorry, Bunch. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. There was, there was, it was so much, her game was so much more nuanced and there were just so many, there were so many more shades and she could do so many different things off the ground that she couldn't have even dreamed of in 99. She was a better match player. Everything had improved and, I have to say, you know, you alluded to 12 and 2012, and it's like you, you got to look back to Mora Taglu and him coming in. I honestly believe that he made a big, big difference because I don't think, with all due respect to her father, who was, who was brilliant in the way he was able to raise his two daughters unconventionally and turn them into to all-time greats. And no knock on him, but I think what he had done was he'd sent her to Rick Meche and he got her proper schooling and he was a great motivator, but I don't think he had the kind of tennis mind that Patrick Patrick has. And and Serena was open to hearing what he had to say. So I really believe from that point on in 12, you know, it was no accident that everything turned when he came in. I don't say he was solely responsible, but I think he had a lot played a large role in in the in the uh, expansion of her game. In, in, in the fact that she became a much, much more well-rounded player. Yeah, um, you, you referenced their upbringing just now, but I just wanted to ask you, so, you know, sort of the upbringing of um, Richard Williams raising her, you know, raising the two sisters in Compton, um, you know, a lot of uh, disadvantages, I guess you could say, they had relative to other players growing up at that, at that time and the, the kind of lifestyle that they lived. And of course, you know, Rick Macy and then the whole Venus Williams story, of course, um, in King Richard, which which I really liked, by the way, that it was solely about Venus because that really sort of set the tone for her sister and sort of celebrating her right now. I just think it feels so appropriate. But just always, you know, living in the shadow of her sister, obviously she's very different yeah. from her sister personality-wise. You know, Venus is a lot more stoic and, uh, you know, Serena is, wears her heart honestly, very emotional, um, you know, obviously has had some of her outbursts on court. and. Um, but you just you just really feel like she's inspired a lot of women to be like strong and be who they are and identify with with um you know with with themselves and you know be strong and fight and all of those those qualities that i think you know you you see um someone of her color her stature come up through the last 20 years and it's given a lot of belief to you know a lot of young players that we're watching now um in in your coco goffs and osakas of the world and so it's kind of you feel like she's paved the way and helped Bring change in tennis and i think that's, yeah, that was, that's the one thing about her legacy that yeah she's been transformational in that regard and the, the two of them are transformational uh i think the poignant part of this is that there was venus who was a dominant force herself even after serena won that 99 open and then venus oh. came back the next two years wimbledon and the open it looked like she was going to end up at that stage, I, I would have I would have guessed Venus ends up with double digit majors, fifteen or so. It didn't happen, you know. She she got five Wimbledon's and two Opens. Didn't didn't win the other two, and it was a great career. But think about it, you know. She was surpassed by her sister. She was very gracious about it. Never sensed anything begrudging in her attitude. She, she was probably Serena's biggest cheerleader. But the poignant part of it is, you know, it. You just have to imagine what that was like because she 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 was such a great player herself when she was young and remains so. And she also has had this enduring greatness. And 
playing into her forties. And, but I, I, I don't think she could have imagined at, at the end of 2001, that things were going to turn out quite the way they did. She knew how that Serena was going to be great, but I don't think she had was fully aware it, deep in her deep within her that her sister was going to be quite as driven. She knew she was driven, but she didn't know it would go to the extreme that it did in a very positive way that Serena was going to, going to develop this sense of history and wanting to be considered the greatest of all time. And it was going to keep pushing herself and was going to become this phenomenal big match player. I don't, I don't, I think Venus imagined that they were going to trade off a bit more. Not, mm-hmm. No, in other words, that she'd have, she'd have her years, Serena would have her years and they'd have a closer rivalry and that she, she probably thought more of the prestigious prizes were going to come her way, but I, but she handled it all with immense grace. You never sensed, at all that she was jealous of what her sister was achieving. Yeah, for sure. That's why it was so great to see her resurgence in 2017 when she came back and reached those two major finals. Yeah, that was she really was, nice. She'd also gone through a lot in that period with her cyrogene syndrome and just a lot of difficult, like with her autoimmune condition. And you just feel like it just, you know, because it was going in, the, they were sort of trading off a little bit, like until 2008, 2009. And then it sort of just, it started to change. Yeah, you're right. Wave. You're right. It was some trade off, and it's true because in in '08 Venus played a great match to beat Serena at Wimbledon, and then Serena comes back and beats Venus in a kind of an epic two tiebreaker yep. match in the quarters of the Open under the lights. So yes, she was still in there with her and continued even after that to play some great matches against her. But you're right, the syndrome really hurt her and sapped her of her energy mm-hmm. to be sure. And but I do think things had changed before then. I think that yeah. you know in their mindsets. Uh, but in, in, in any case, you know, Serena, it, it was just it was remarkable what she did in, 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 in when she was at the height of her powers. And, and I think we got to see the couple of phases of that, because I thought that period of 02 and 03 was pretty spectacular, too. And then we had that period with the two of them playing all those major finals against each other, the French Wimbledon U.S. of 02 and then the Australian of 03. And then again at Wimbledon, they, so they played five out of six finals in that span. Were, were Serena versus Venus. But that's where I think she kind of, th- th- something sank into to Venus that uh, I, you know, I may have, I, I, I may have my, some sporadic success against her, but boy, Serena wants this and she might want it even more than I do. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, I think that really hit her. That's true. Um, and also, you look at um, the final that they played in 2003 at the Australian Open. That was, um, that was maybe their, 
their best match in the majors. It was it was a great one. Yeah, it was. It was really hard fought, tight three sets down to the wire. Uh, I'm not so sure that I, I wouldn't rate the 08 quarter at the open even even higher yeah. for some reason, but certainly of their finals. Yeah, of their finals, I meant. Final mm-hmm. by far. And, and mm-hmm. Venus, Venus couldn't have played much better. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, it was cool to see them sort of play. You know, they played a thirty-first meeting in in front of no one in a parking lot and <laughs> in Lexington, and it was a pretty high yeah. match there as well. There was, it was. Uh, it was. The... They had they had a, they had a couple of really great confrontations. You know, that were in you know out of the way places, and that said a lot for them too. Is that they they took all the matches seriously. That was also a nice part of the story. Was they came to terms with playing against each other. Each of them hated it initially, understandably, having to go through each other. But then there came a point not too long, and I'd say by, you know, by 2002 when they, when they had to play all those. And then, it, then they, they just sort of understood, okay, this is part of the deal. This is part of being a professional. And it's, it's a nice thing that we, we would only lose to, to, to each other and nobody else. So they, I thought they – and then I think the, that's why some of the, the quality of some of their matches went up. Is they they had they'd come to terms with it and, we, and and that was nice to see. Never a great stylistic matchup because mm-hmm. you know it was they were too similar in too many ways. There's, there wasn't a spectator's delight the way say Serena against Justine Ennin or Everett and Navratilova or Graf and Sellis or you know there, there were more contrasts in some of these other matches. But but the the level of their tennis against each other went up exponentially. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you look at her, all of her rivals, you know, across 20 years, um, all the way from Naomi Osaka, all the way till the very beginning uh, with Martina Hingis. And sort of yeah. the one name that you just mentioned, which is Justine. And that's the one that sort of stands out to me because they played each other seven times in majors. And, you know, Justine had the, you know, won four of them. And it was, you know, they had, and that's where you really got that contrast. And you just feel felt like that was always a really tight rivalry. I mean, so you're not edited out eight, six in the end, but you just you just felt like the you know Justine had a had a had a lot to offer and trouble Serena in some of those matches. Oh, she did. No, I think we were deprived. I think Justine's quitting, you know, yeah. which surprised me because she had not, she never won Wimbledon, which I think she should have had on her on her resume. But that could have been potentially the greatest rivalry of of Serena's career if they yeah. if we could have had years more of it. And I think it would have. I think there would have been some fluctuating fortunes there. And Justine was very tough mentally. And I'm sorry we didn't get more of that because it was really a pleasure to watch them play. I mean, I saw that, you know, I saw a bunch of them, you know, at, at the U.S. Open. And then at the, the famous match at the French where Justine put her hand up and the big controversy there at, at, the, at the French. And that was unfortunate because it was just a great match outside of that moment. And I don't think that that determined the outcome of the match, but they, that should have been the sort of defining rivalry of even uh, alongside the one with her sister for, for obvious reasons with so many major finals, but I wish we'd seen a lot more of Justine versus Serena. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, I, I think what's good about this announcement, Steve, is that I feel like we can just properly celebrate and enjoy this last one month. Because, you know, for a while, it, it, it just I didn't think Serena would announce it in this in this way where, um, like, you know, put a timestamp on it. I just figured, you know, she would be out to take her time and it would just kind of linger on and on for years to come. So the fact that she's now announced this and we can, you know, the ticket sales at the U.S. Open are through the roof. And, you know, of course, 
um, everyone who waits to see the draw at the U.S. Open, and there's just so much more rising on this uh, on this U.S. Open as a result of this. Yeah, it's going to be it, it, from the standpoint of the ticket holders. I hope some of them, you know, they have to try to calculate it. I, I, like for instance, you got to believe that Serena's first match likely to be at night. You know, in the first week, they probably would try to play her if she hangs on, you know, and can win several rounds. If she wins three rounds or whatever, however well she does, they're certainly going to want to put her on more at night during the during the week. And then if she makes it to the first weekend, that's a different story. Then television would want that during the day. But I wonder how many people are are factoring that into their ticket purchases that if they're looking to see Serena in the first, especially if it's going to be one of those first three or four nights. Uh, the time that the night session would be the likely place to find her. Yeah, absolutely. I can't imagine her, them putting Serena in the day. Um, and of course, um, you know, she just played last week. She played against Belinda Bencic, a very difficult opponent for her, um, especially particularly at this stage of her career, because the way Bencic can just change directions and redirect shots, hits the ball really hard, keeps Serena guessing on her back foot, moving out constantly. I kind of feel like this match against Raducanu will be a little different just because I don't think Raducanu has the type of firepower to just hit her off the court. And, you know, I think Serena will have her time to work her way into the match and she'll be able to get into, she'll be able to dictate play a lot more. I think. Yes. The question is going to be, is she, is she sharp enough when it matters, you know, and, and is she converting her break points? And, you know, I mean, I, 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 I don't disagree with your with your overview of the match. It's just I still think you know that the the lack of match play, which really showed up against Benchich, could still be there against Emma. On the other hand, Emma, that crowd is going to be overwhelmingly for Serena, even though they they don't. I think they respect a lot what Emma did at the U.S. Open last year. But you're right. I mean, it's one that she can sort of. It's a match she can sink her teeth into, and that where she may set the tempo. But then the question is going to be, you know, is she is she match sharp enough, you know, it, 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 to get it done? Or does it slip away despite opportunities? Yeah, exactly. I think it's going to come down to to the to the clutchness factor. And that's very and also how, how does Emma can Emma, you know, again, Serena, good high first serve percentage. Then it's hard to imagine Emma breaking her much. But if, if the first serve is a little bit off, Emma could maybe get start uh, asserting herself with some aggressive second serve returns, which she's capable of making. I, I would say, I don't know how you feel. In the end, I kind of lean towards Serena in three. Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel the same. I think um, Emma is the slight favorite going in, but I think, um, I think Serena will be able to, to find her way into this match. And then I think her experience and having played with the, and the crowd rallying her at the end, I think will prevail her over the line. That's kind of how I see it. And, but I think it's good for Raducanu that she's playing this match because for the first time in a while, it'll feel like they're not all talking about her and she's not the center of the spotlight. And so I think that You're right. will take a lot of pressure but, off of her, especially coming into the U.S. Open where she has to defend her title. Yeah, I agree with that. And she, she'll also have that feeling that she still believes that she can beat her. I, you know, So that it's a nice position to be and feel like an underdog, but feel like you have it in you to get it done. But from Serena's standpoint, I mean, winning that match and maybe winning one or two more in Cincinnati, however many matches she can get there, it's going to make a difference in New York. I think it could help her a lot. Not, not that I expect her to make any kind of a deep run in New York, but it would just be very helpful to have, say, three more matches in Cincinnati on top of the two last week. Then, then she's got something, you know, that, then she's getting back into the flow a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. 
So I think, you know, tennis fans have just been blessed the last, uh, the last 25 years. And it's always sad when um, legends uh, retire, but I think it's part of the game and we, you know, the sport will continue to move on and we'll, we'll have, we'll make new memories. And of course it's a big hole that we're, you know, it's a big hole that Serena sort of like symbolically means for the tour. But I think it's, I think we're in a good place right now in the women's game where we can really take it forward. And we have a lot of young talent coming through. And I think, uh, I think, it, I think we're in good hands in terms of the depth. Oh, I do too. What we need are the, are the champions. This, you know, I mean, we, we have to see what's going to happen with Ego right now uh, because she's, she, she had that wonderful 37-match winning streak. It's been a little shakier lately since winning the French and, you know, kind of a shocking loss at Wimbledon. And, and now she comes into the Open not as, as heavy a favorite as we might have thought. But I think we need players like that that can win multiple ma- uh, majors in a year, say at least two majors in a year so that we get a, a sense of, of a little bit more continuity, a little bit more greatness being exhibited. Not to say that we necessarily need a dominant Serena champion, but I think we need players that are over a period of years are going to pick up a bunch of majors and keep, and keep coming back into the winner's circle and, and grabbing more of those prizes yeah. in addition, because the depth is clearly there. There's no, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, and then we see Simona Halep coming through last week and, it was nice to see her, you know, uh, uh, so close to the open, finding her best form. And you get the feeling that maybe she can make a real go of it in New York as well. So uh, you want you want that that kind of a combination. Yes, a, a lot of sparkling new stars and depth and potential champions, but also an elite an elite cast at the top. I still want to see that. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to see some rivalries emerge. And it was great to see Simona Halep uh, come through because she hasn't had a whole lot of success at the U.S. Open, just made the one sem- semifinal and no. success at the other three. So. No, the conditions haven't always suited her that well, Vonch. I think maybe the courts, by and large, have been a little too quick for her liking. But, you know, maybe th- maybe this is the year. Uh, mm-hmm. You, you kind of hope so, because we've seen greatness from her. And we saw her come so close in Australia, you know, in the Wozniacki match. And then, and then we saw uh, we saw her in brilliant against Serena winning that Wimbledon final two and two and then and then the French coming back against Sloane Stevens. So she's all the three other majors she's shown we've seen pretty much the best of Simona. It's time we saw it in New York. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, um someone else, another legend who's coming back this week is is Rafael Nadal, who hasn't played since Wimbledon. Um and since and he's coming back in Cincinnati and he's got a tough draw to work himself back into form. And he was supposed to play last week uh, but uh, the abdominal pain uh, the abdominal injury has kept him away for a while. So how do you kind of see his chances? And do you think he's going to, do you think he's the favorite going into the U S open right now? Uh, maybe slight, uh, maybe slight. It's, you know, I mean, he's had such great success there. No, I mean, to win, considering that he's still stuck on two Wimbledon's and he finally got his second Australian this year, unexpectedly in the startling upset against Medvedev. You look at the U S open with the four, four triumphs, it's pretty impressive, including as recently as 17 and 19. So, yeah, I, I think he probably is. And, and, and just, just having won the two majors earlier in the year and, and, and even in his really compromised physical condition, making the semifinals of Wimbledon. Uh, yeah, I, I would say he is. I would say he is the slight. But, but I, you know, there's a bunch of other guys. You, you just wonder, is this the t- does, does Carlos explode there? He's had a disappointing stretch since the French, but I think we're going to see him kind of 
uh, burst out of the out of the doldrums a bit and start playing his his very best tennis again. And then Medvedev is going to be still tough to defeat as the defending champion, but I don't know how comfortable he's going to be in that role. And then you have the likes of Sinner, you know, who's coming on strong. And they're, they're still, all things considered, Vance, with with Rafa's experience, yes, I, I'd say you make him the the very slight favorite. And I don't think he actually needs a lot out of Cincinnati because he's keep yeah, showing. Yeah, I was going to say I, because all the times he's been healthy this year, he's come out on top. So he, I feel like he can just carry that through, even if he's yeah healthy and, and and seemingly not very well prepared. He came into the Australian having missed all, you know, having played just the one tournament in Washington, two matches in Washington last summer, the whole second half following Roland Garros. And he plays one 250 event in Melbourne, wins it, and then wins the Australian. And then he got badly disrupted on the way to the French this year and walked off very hobbled when he lost to Shapovalov in, in Rome. And things were not were looking kind of bleak, and he still won the French, despite everything, despite preparation that he didn't like, understandably. So my point is, if he lost early in Cincinnati, I don't, I, I wouldn't put much stock in that because I think you know he'll have time to play his way into form in New York. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Alcaraz. Obviously, he blew us away up until Madrid, uh, his run title run there, and since then he's, you know, fourteen and five. And you know, for 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 uh, other players, you'd be like, okay, wow, they're coming on strong, and this is amazing. But sort of, he set the bar so high uh, with his with his success as a nineteen year old in the in the beginning, but. Um, you know, having lost to Paul last week, do you kind of, uh, you know, do you think this is just like, are you worried at all? Or is it just kind of just natural growing pain? And, you know, for the first time, he sort of he admitted that he, he felt the pressure. A little bit. Of it. I think he, he I, yeah, I think so. He had himself a chance to come back from 5-2 down there and, and nearly broke him in the last game. And I have the, he always seems to go down swinging. And, and I feel like, yeah, he could use a little of a boost coming to the open, no doubt about it. On the other hand, it'll be like a he will he will love returning to the scene of where he made such a big international splash last year in Vitsipas. You know, it, it was sort of his first big, huge splash at a major, and goes out of the quarters. And I just feel like, you know what, he's he's uh, he he will he will be so inspired to come back to new york and i deep he believes he could win the tournament so but on the other hand it just wouldn't hurt given this sort of a losing the way the way this season is sort of the recent stretch has kind of gotten away from him and, and not at, losing some matches he might have expected to win including two losses to center not just wimbledon but then loses to him on the clay in the final so you know he's had he's taken some hit some lumps that he didn't expect to so i i think it would be it would really do him at least get Cincinnati or perhaps win it the lift he he could coming into New York but either way I think he's going to be very inspired at, at the open no doubt in my mind about that mm-hmm. um and then and then for sure um you know Medvedev is an interesting one because of his uh, because you know didn't didn't play Wimbledon and of course he has all these points to defend and uh, defending champion and he always comes on strong this time of the year but uh you feel like there's a lot more pressure on him this year yeah, we don't know. It's this kind of unusual moment for him. Where you can compare it a bit to what happened in Melbourne because there he's going for a second straight slam title. So you're wondering, is he now in that? Is he now kind of wearing the robe of champion and comfortable wearing it and, and thinking himself as really the best player in the world as the guy that should be winning majors on top of majors? And 
that was such a jarring loss to Nadal in the finals there from two sets to love and three two love 40 in the in that third set with a chance to break it open and I, I in some ways I don't think he's ever fully recovered from that since on the other hand he's he's he he won those Cabos and yes he, he lost to Nick last week but I think he'll be ready for New York no matter what happens in Cincinnati and the question would be you know if, if he gets himself into the quarters or semis at that stage is he uh is he fending or does it does the pressure get to him a bit because he's a he's a fascinating personality not his tennis but his emotional the the emotional ro- roller coaster that we seem to go through with him that he seems to go through and and where the sometimes it can it can i'm fascinated to see how he performs in new york yeah for sure and um you know of course uh Kyrgios coming off of the wimbledon final and he's finally put together like this the stretch where he seems to be trying a lot harder and he's more motivated and obviously had the title in Washington, won doubles as well. And, you know, it seems like he's better and more motivated and playing for something more now. But, you know, you mentioned obviously the the conditions in New York um, and, you know, the physicality sort of holding back Nick in previous majors. But, um, you know, what, what do you expect to see from Nick? Well, I, I thought that it was a good sign that he, you know, how well he held up physically at Wimbledon and getting to the final, and despite the fact that he didn't have to play Nadal in the semi. So what he had, the work that he had to do to get there, he showed that he was he was fit, and he's done it, shown it again in DC and Montreal with a win and a, a tournament win and a quarterfinal back to back. And okay, so he faded a bit in the third set against Herkosh, but no disgrace. So I feel like. If he can manage to get through the first three or four rounds in New York without taking too much out of himself, that could make a big difference. I don't think he can afford to be getting in a couple of five setters in the first week because that could catch up to him in the second. But I, what I'm saying is in the, in the final analysis, I see Nick with a reasonable chance to make the semifinals with a good draw. Yeah, I, would. I think that's very much in the realm of possibility given the, you know, given the field that we have right now. But um Obviously, this this means a lot of opportunity um, coming through. I mean, obviously, with the big three not having played a lot of, uh, you know, skipping a lot of Masters 1000s and, uh, you know, Djokovic out and Zverev not there. And um, it, it just kind of feels like this is up for grabs. Like it's, you know, in a way that obviously Nadal and Medvedev and Alcaraz are your three sort of big favorites. But apart right. from that, it really feels wide open. And we just had Karenia Busto winning and Montreal playing some terrific tennis. He always seems yeah. to play his best this yeah. time of the year. And Herkosh still playing quite well. You know, he's still very dangerous. I, I wouldn't expect him to win it, but he could be he could be a, a, a big factor in New York and, and wouldn't shock me to see him in the semis or finals with the right draw as well. Yeah, yeah it's 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 gonna be an interesting open. Not to mention, I guess there's still that outside, outside chance of Djokovic coming with it. You know, there's all this talk out there about the CDC, and they did make some changes in the regulations surrounding COVID. And the question is, will they take the next step and will they take it soon enough where they change the regulations on people coming into the U.S. who are unvaccinated? Mm-hmm. Still, it still seems unlikely, but it's not impossible now. But if Djokovic did play, the disadvantage he'd have is not having played since Wimbledon. He would have loved, he would have liked to have had at least one hardcore tournament coming in. Yeah. So then he'd have to play his way into form. But it would be nice to see him there if that all worked out. Still, I'd say odds, odds certainly against. Yeah, I think odds against at the moment, but there is still, you know, a slight outside chance. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but Steve, I think it should. I think we'll have a great Cincinnati. We'll have a 
we'll have an exciting U.S. Open with a lot of great stories and, um, you know, finish off the season strong. And uh, it, was, it was nice to chat about Serena and her legacy and um, close that chapter. And uh, it, was, it was great to have you join me. Yeah, Bunch, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And, I, and I, 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 we didn't talk about just the last comment I would make. I think the likelihood is that Serena gets to say the third or fourth round with a decent draw that the, the crowd's propeller, that there's this exhilaration that she's got, she's got the adrenaline going and they help. Well, it's going to be very tough on any opponents who are, uh, have the misfortune to play her on what is surely going to be her last open because the crowds would just be overwhelmingly behind Serena. So I could see her maybe making the round of 16. That would be nice in, in considering that it's, it's such a farewell. You just want to see her at least make some kind of impression this tournament and maybe go out against well, one of the top three or four seeds, whoever we don't know the draw at this point, but that and, and in a in a well played match, that would be a nice scenario the way I see it. Yeah, I guess the more the more the crowd gets and the more Serena's able to get out of her last tournament, the better we are all for it. So uh we we wish her the best and of course uh it, it was a pleasure watching her all these years and uh you know she'll be missed in the tennis world, but we'll continue to I'm sure she'll be she'll do a lot of great things. When, once her career is over so i don't have any any doubt about it and i also have no doubt that she's picked the right time to say goodbye because she's analyzed it and i think she had a lot of time to think between wimbledon 2021 and wimbledon to uh, 2022 you know it, it was a very reflective period in her life i'm sure and and now i i think she realizes that that this this is a very fitting time to leave the game and and to leave it with people having so many powerful memories of her, uh, as you said, at the start, basically a quarter of a century career, which I was just writing about in a piece. It's amazing when you think about it, starting in 98, she, she will have had one of the longest careers, even though there were some interruptions and absences, she kept fighting back. But this is the time. This is the time for her farewell. I have, I have no doubt in my mind about that. Yeah, Absolutely. And we'll also see what happens with Venus and uh, how she goes out and what, uh, you know, what her exit from tennis will sort of look like. Yeah, hard to see her playing much longer either. And maybe a part of her wants to leave close to the time that Serena is too. Or may- maybe there's a part of her that feels she could play on one more year, uh, predominant, maybe doing it predominantly in doubles. But that's going to be interesting to see what, what Venus opts to do. Yeah, for sure. But um, but either way, we've been we've been blessed, and we'll 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 see how much longer we uh, we'll see how uh, you know how far it takes us, and uh, it should it should be a great U.S. Open. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I am too, Vach. And we'll talk when it's uh, we'll talk when it's over in mid September. Yeah, should should be great. Looking forward to it. Thanks as always. Thank you, Vach. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. 